Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Before I jump into the message, I just want to uh, say that if you would like to uh, put your finger into Psalm 63, whether in a hymnal or your Bible, because uh, I'll be referring to that, you can just easily look up into that. You know, last Wednesday, March 20th, was the official start of spring, the spring equinox. You know, for weeks you could tell that spring was near because you could see all the super bloom of the flowers that was wonderful out there. Either if you've been to Walker Canyon, I understand that they restrict parking, so you have to take a $10 shuttle to see it now. Or if you go down Interstate 15 or go to the Anzaburgo Desert, or even if you've seen the photographs from the satellite, you can see the blooms all over. As I said yesterday or Thursday, I was supposed to go into Tehachapi State Prison, but because of an issue there, we were not allowed in. It's so funny, there are so many people who are trying to get out, I'm trying to get in. But on the way up there, I could see some of the wildflowers. It was as if God had cans of paint of yellow, of green, of, of orange, and, and purple, and just throwing them out there on the hillside. It was beautiful out there. And you can see that spring is here. And not just seeing it visually, but even smelling it. And I'm not talking about just seeing all the, the pollen that you can inhale well in, in your eyes and your nose, but, and not just seeing all the butterflies, but the wonderful aroma of the newness of life as your neighbors start spreading out, not decorative bark, but that fertilizer and mulch <laughs> all over the gardens and the front yards, you know, years ago, I used to uh, do a Kairos prison ministry retreat at Chino State Prison. And the land at that time was really adjacent to not housing, which is out there now, but a dairy farm. And through the barbed wire, through the nose, you can just take that unique odor of the other local residents, all those cows. And we'd have a running joke here there at Chino that of greeting each other by doing this, just getting the flies out of our faces and our nose and our eyes and, our, and even our mouths. And once I was speaking up there and the flies were so abundant, I said, guys, we got to stop. And I, I prayed and they go, look at this guy up there. And all of a sudden the clouds started coming. There were shadows and began to rain and the flies just went away. And the guys there said, we better listen to this guy. But in the chapel, again, we had fly strips hanging from the ceilings, and within minutes, they were all covered in black. It was just, it was terrible up there. But then we joke and even say little funny phrases from that 1979 Apocalypse Now movie, I love the smell of cow manure in the morning, right? So, but if you've ever worked with mulch, then you know what an amazing product it really is. And it may stink for a little bit, but it has an incredible gift. It has something in it. It's called old-fashioned manure. Yeah. And we don't talk about manure much these days because, I don't know, for whatever reason, it's not a trendy word to say these days. And we are such a sophisticated society that we tend to be a little bit more uber-politically retreat, uh, politically correct, and we call it uh, organic fertilizer or compost material or, or humus. But whatever we call it, the fact remains that it still stinks. 
And while it may have its distinct odor, it provides the power, if you will, the nutrients for things to get to that next level. It provides the means for things to experience abundant life. Because without some essential nutrients from nourishment from that manure, our grass would be less green, our flowers would have smaller or no blooms at all, and our trees would bear little or no fruit at all. Our gardens would just provide no harvest. And that tree in that Luke passage from a distance looked good, looked healthy, but when you reached out to grab a fig, you'd be sorely disappointed. For while the tree had a trunk, it had branches and limbs, it had leaves, but it had no figs. And I'm sure it was a great bushy tree that probably provided some shade, but as far as providing figs, it was a bust. The owner took the time to plant it, care for it, and expected to come up to the right, at the right time of the year for the harvest and get figs from it. And he was not into ornamental bonsai tree, Japanese bonsai fig trees. He wanted figs. You know, show me the figs. And if not, cut it down. Or at least then it would be useful for something called firewood. But the gardener intervened. He too had invested his life into this tree, and he still believed in it. He asked the owner for another year and that he would dig up the soil around it and loosen it and put fertilizer, put manure around it, and see what would happen in a year. Because there was a good chance then that the tree would start producing once it had that fertilizer around it. And all this is connected, if you will, to our Lenten series, The Songs of Enduring Faith. Have you noticed that banners just outside the door? Is it just one other thing that's just there? But look at it, The Songs of Enduring Faith. It's on the screens right there. And in this case, it allows the gardener, God the gardener, if you will, to use the stinky, smelly stuff that comes into our lives. And I believe that God can take these things, all these things that we give that little stink eye at times, you know, and transform it to be the very ingredients we need to grow and bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I see that happening, that God uses this odoriferous stuff and transforms it into life-giving fertilizer, if you will. I see that in two places in our Psalm 63 passage, and in my 28 years with Cairo's prison ministry. This Psalm 63 is a song of seeking, not because we're always asking, seeking, and knocking, which is true in what we are always doing, but because our lives are full of hide-and-seek scenarios, if you will, thirsting for God just as it was for the psalmist, as it is for prison inmates, as it is for me and for you, for our churches, for our denomination, and for the world itself. And as we enter into Psalm 63, there is both an intimacy with God that we see as well as a yearning after God. It's as if David is saying, I know you, God, but my heart's desire is to know you even more. And the psalmist is not just on the fringes of faith, things are going wrong, but he is yearning for a renewed experience of a relationship that already exists. Verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. This is a day in 
the life of a believer when we read this. That word earnestly I seek you is sometimes translated as early I seek you. And so we see the psalmist, early I seek you. To the watches of night, from the morning to the evening, I am searching for you. I am seeking you, God. God is not limited in time or space, so we can look to him wherever, whatever, and whoever situation we find ourselves in. Whether it's the dry and weary, thirsty seasons of the land, or behind walls and electrified barbed wire, as well as in this sanctuary. And as the inmates in prison know, they have plenty of time to think of their thirsty lives and of God. The intensity of the psalmist's desire is to compare his thirst to a place of no water, the desert. And we've all been there in our dry times of life, whether it's in relationships, jobs, family, you name it, health. But the psalmist also finds relief in the feast of good things, that marrow and fat. His very flesh, his mind, body, and spirit longs for God. And he anticipates a bodily response, not just a little mental ascent, but his whole body, is, his lips are praising God. The lifting up of hands in worship and the mouth singing praise with joyful lips like Bonita in our choir just puts it out there for us. And at the heart of this whole expected experience is the covenant or promise of love of God. Your steadfast love, your loving kindness is better than life. And this is not our love for God, but rather it's God's love for us. And so we praise him because he first blessed us. There's a note in many Bibles, and for those of you who took my class uh, during Ask, we looked at the Psalms, and in many of the Bibles, when they have the number like Psalm 63, there's a little notation there. It says that David composed this psalm in the desert of Judah. And this would have been probably the time when he was run out by his own son Absalom when he was rebelling against his own father. David, as king, had fled Jerusalem. And so we can imagine him remembering his God as he lay wakeful on his wilderness bed because we know that he is not the only one to lay awake at night thinking about things. David would remember how the Lord had been his help up to this point in time, recalling, for example, when he had been on the run from even King Saul. David would remember how God had been his shepherd when he was a shepherd boy. David knew well how to rejoice under the shadow of his wings, and even in the midst of pain, of pursuits, and sorrows, and all the dramas of life. Are we any different? I don't think so. We all have smelly things in our lives, and I'm not talking about dirty socks or laundry. You don't have to live in the gated community of Victorville Federal State Excuse me, Victorville Federal Prison, or in a what I call timeshare, like the Department of Corrections of Chino or San Quentin or California City or Tehachapi. We aren't the only ones with issues. All of our Bible heroes, when you think about it, they had them too. There was Joseph. He went from smelling pretty with his coat of many colors until his brothers sold him into slavery and later found himself in Pharaoh's prison. There was Jeremiah, the prophet of God. He was thrown into a slimy pit for speaking truth. 
Ruth and Naomi as widows living hand-to-mouth without any welfare. And then there's Job, there's David, there's Daniel, the lion's den, and the three in that fiery barbecue pit. And I'm sure none of these people signed up for their tours of duty. And I'm pretty sure that neither of us as captive audiences ever did as well. So what do we do about it? We look back to Psalm 63, the song of seeking. That seems to condense a praiseworthy response to God in spite of life's messes. The Bible is full of stories that tell us that God uses all these messes in our lives just like we use mulch in our yards, our flower beds, and in our gardens. Manure may stink for a while, and it may be messy, but it can also make our tomatoes, our flowers, and our grass reach their highest potential. Fertilizer can pave the way of things to become greater than we could ever imagine or think. Instead of being discouraged about our lives and to complain, the Bible tells us that the Lord God Almighty can take all that stuff and make something good. He can do the same thing that this gardener and Luke did. God can use it to make our lives bear abundant fruit. If we look back over our years of lives and look deep enough, we can notice something amazing. Yes, we want easy times. We want the easy life. We want things to go smoothly, to smell nice and be successful. But a lot of times, we don't grow during those times. We still enjoy them, but we don't grow richer or deeper. So we have to sing that song of seeking, seeking from Psalm 63. In one of the messages I give through Cairo's prison ministry, I share with the inmates that there is a fact about ourselves that plays a big part in determining our attitude and what we will become. Often we are like most animals. That is, people tend to run together just as animals tend to run, either in herds or flocks or packs like wolves. And sometimes we call them posses or even gangs. We look at the choices we make in life with varying degrees of success, but sometimes more of failure. And all these choices, we have to own them. But the bottom line is this, is that what I am, what I have become, and what I will become all depend not just on my free choices, our decisions and goals, but who I depend upon, who I run with, and who runs with me, whether it's people or our thoughts, our attitudes. And with humor, I sometimes tell the inmates that in my previous life, I confess, I was a lawyer. <laughs> and once even as a federal public defender. But I saw the light, I confessed, I repented my ways and became a minister of God's church. And now I am a recovering attorney. And no, I will not be doing anyone's writ of habeas corpus to get them a get-out-of-jail-free card. And when I graduated from law school, the running joke was that to succeed as a lawyer in the state, you had to practice the double D, that is death, that's wills, estates, or probate law because someone's always dying in California, or the other D, divorce, because someone's always getting divorced in California. But little did I know that down the road that I would personally be experiencing the double D myself. And yes, years ago, I had my first D, the divorce, but it was the second D, death, 
a homicide that took the life of my brother, who was a pastor, that taught me how much God loved me and would always be there for me. And not just for me, but for you, as well as the inmates. And yes, you could say that then I was like David in Psalm 63 in the Judean desert, thirsting for God, but in a much deeper valley. I was in a pit called grief and felt very alone. I was ready just to sit down and give up as I tried to make sense of something that did not make sense. It was a long, lonely walk in what a lot of people call the dark night of the soul. But I found out that even if I did feel lonely, I was never alone. That is when God put his arm around me and said, let's take a walk together. And in my time with God, I heard his calling for me to change careers and become a pastor. It's been 34 years since my brother's death, since his homecoming. And I've been striving to, as they say, walk the talk of faith with the help of my brother's sisters here in church or wherever they are, even in prison. And for all of us to hear that song of seeking, moving from, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, like where are you, to because your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. That sounds so wonderful. Yes, it does. But there's always a, yeah, but, yeah, but. How often do we believe that God is found only in the light, in the bright places where the sun is shining, where everything is hunky-dory? But for people like us, especially in prison, in the midst of consequences by our own choices or someone else's design, whether it's being at liberty or being locked up, we think we are destined for darkness because of all the things we have done and that our lives will now be in perpetual darkness. And I say to the inmates and to us, eh, wrong answer, thank you for playing anyway. But you know what? God is found in the dark as well. Make a note of that. When Moses and the children of Israel ran away from slavery in Egypt, they were led by a pillar of fire that guided their way in the middle of the night and from the terror of the Egyptian army. God is found in the darkest of nights. And in some of the Psalms, we find mighty warriors hiding in the shadows of the rocks, seeking shelter with the Most High God. God is found in the shadows. And in the darkness of nights, when we slumber and sleep, if we can sleep, God comes in dreams. So God is found in the night. And yes, God is found in the darkness as the light as well and guides and protects us. And to me, Psalm 63 reaffirms that because when all you have left is God and God is everything, no matter what the smell is around us, what a really thrilling, thrilling thing that is. You know all about evidence. Evidence is what got you here, and that's another joke for the inmates. It was evidence that was brought into the courtroom to prove a point. If we have a question about something, we look for evidence to check it out, and we can check out God, whether it's true or not. We check out God. Faith in God stands up to evidence that demands a verdict. God is true, 
and truth. And in all these messes in our lives, fertilizer, check it out, fertilizer can pave the way to things becoming greater than we could ever imagine or think. And as we travel through this Lenten season towards Easter, a mere four weeks away, who had to endure more stink in this life than our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ? He was born in a stable. That had to smell, I'm sure. Shepherds, the first visitors, when was the last time they had a bath? The stink of the wilderness and dealing with Satan in all those temptations. The stink of dealing with lepers, the demon-possessed, and death itself. The stink of dealing with the Pharisees and Sadducees whose mission was to destroy Jesus. The stink of his trial and his beatings. The stink of the crucifixion. And not just the blood and gore, but the fact that Jesus was taking on all the sin of the world. The stink of his death and burial. But all that stink did not destroy Jesus. Jesus treated it like fertilizer. Jesus allowed it to work in his life like the gardener wanted that fertilizer to work on that fig tree. It may stink on Friday, that good Friday, and even on Saturday, but by Sunday, the resurrection opens up a whole new world. Everything smelled like heaven on Resurrection Sunday. So the next time, Something happens that stinks. Take a moment and reflect. Read Psalm 63. It may stink now, but God has a way of making this blossom. We need to be ready for God to take that stinky stuff and bring about new life. And we will be amazed at what God can bring in our lives in the strangest ways. And remember this. And all you have left is God. And God is everything. No matter what the smell is all around us, what a thrilling thing that really is. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God of our thirst and inner desert, help us to come to you to see that all that takes place around us, you are using to form to blossom, to grow, to heal, to bear your fruit for us to encourage others. Help us, God, to receive all that takes place in our hearts and lives to see that you will always be with us day and night in darkness as well as in the brightness of life itself. Guide us, God, as we seek you in spite of this world. In your name we pray. Amen.